Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Miriam Knight Show, where we explore the many faces of consciousness in action. I'm the publisher of New Consciousness Review, where we get to see and review the latest books and films having the greatest impact on the global awakening. The best of them are covered in our online multimedia magazine, and I have the privilege of interviewing many of these authors right here on the show. Now, we have a very special show for you today. It's the Reviewers Roundtable, where we bring together some of our top reviewers of New Consciousness Review to talk about recent books and films that have stood out for them. Today, we have with us Cynthia Sue Larson and our new addition to the team, Brent Marchant. I'm delighted to welcome you both. Welcome, Brent and Cynthia. Oh, thank well, thank you. you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Cynthia, we're going to start with you. Now, Cynthia Sue Larson is a best-selling author, life coach, and inspirational speaker who is known as the quantum optimist for helping people discover their many possible selves and jump into their favorite lives while staying focused on the question, how good can it get? Cynthia has been featured on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, Coast to Coast AM, and the BBC, and you can watch her YouTube videos and subscribe to her free easing at www.realityshifters.com. Cynthia Darling, welcome, and tell us, what is your first book? My first book is called The Future of God. This is a practical approach to spirituality for our times. And it's written by New York Times best-selling author, Dr. Deepak Chopra. And this is an extraordinary book. I think most people know Deepak Chopra. He's um, definitely been on PBS lots of times. They might have seen him on TV. Uh, he's written dozens of books. This book stands out for me on uh, way ahead and beyond anything he's written before. So you know, if you've been avoiding, if people for some reason have avoided Deepak Chopra all this time, okay, here's a book you definitely want to get. And the reason I say that, these are strong words, <laughs> but I'm so impressed. I think what happened when Deepak Chopra wrote this book, it's all about, as he says, a practical approach to spirituality. Um, but really what he's done is he has written a response to militant atheists, which might not sound like it would produce that great a book, but actually it really does because I think it helped him focus on the ways that people can really recognize that we are all whatever our faith is. And some people start with skepticism, which Dr. Chopra says is a great step to first find out what your faith might be. And um, the reason, it sounds like a strange thing to say that you are what your faith is, but actually um, he makes a great case for it in the book, just showing that even you can call yourself an atheist, but still have what he calls good faith, something that helps improve your experience of life. Or um, from any walk of life, you might end up with some kind of a bad version of faith, not because it's the wrong faith. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that you can look at the effect that the faith has in the world because faith exists as core ideas and the beliefs that we live our lives by. So if your inner beliefs are inspiring you with every thought, word, and action, then um, you can see how important it is, how vitally important it is to know good faith from bad. And this is an extraordinary book for another reason, because, as I said, he's responding to militant atheists, and that might not have been 
on your map at all. You might not have been aware of this. Um, people who profess to be voices of logic and reason uh, without recognizing their own prejudices. So I think this book is timely in the sense that people who are feeling spiritual and are feeling threatened by people who say you're not logical, you're irrational, you're unreasonable, um, people like that are going to love this book, The Future of God, because it's such a heartfelt message uh, showing how faith can feel just like a cry from the heart. And it may not deliver God, so in the sense that people may not find that they've actually faced God face to face, but they can experience a sense of greater meaning, connection, and purpose. And then so ultimately this this future of God that Deepak is showing is that it goes to a spirituality, um, which is essentially the sense of oneness. Some people recognize that as non-duality, and it's got a very deep philosophical um, background to it. But I just love the way that Deepak Chopra describes the spiritual path and outlines a process that people can follow if they wish to go there. But in the meantime, start taking a look just at what, what your faith is and how you work with it. So I'm extremely impressed with this book, much more than I thought I would be. And I was my expectations were fairly high, but he just blew them out of the water. So I, I highly recommend this book. That's why I'm kicking it off with The Future of God by Deepak Chopra. Wow, that is high praise indeed. I'm wondering, Cynthia, does he have anything to say not about um, extreme atheists, but what about militant um, religious uh, fanatics or, or religious milit- uh, extremism? Right. Well, I think he touches on that in the sense that he describes so-called bad faith. So if people take an honest look at their lives and just if you can tell if your beliefs are making you feel sick on the inside, um, possibly because if you're militant in any way, you're probably engaged in battle much more than would be healthy for a person to be. And so if you're, if you're feeling so, um, so <laughs> inspired to take people on and prove that you're right and they're wrong, I, I believe that would be a very good example of what Dr. Chopra means when he says that's bad faith because unless it's really making everybody feel a lot better, and I don't think it's easy to see how it seems like the opposite would be happening if you are just stirring the pot, causing trouble, and telling people they're wrong and you're right. I think that kind of behavior is um, would be an example of bad faith. So he doesn't specifically take it on, um, and I think the reason for that is before Dr. Chopra wrote this book, he actually engaged in a lot of debates with many of these militant atheists. And I think they were hoping or expecting that he would be, that Dr. Chopra would be standing up for some version of organized religion, which he did not do. So, and I think, I think basically this book is a very well thought out response to a number of interactions he had over a number of years with these individuals. So, he wasn't so much engaging with militant religious types. Uh, maybe there will be a book for that in the future. But this was mm-hmm. more, more a direct response to uh, a lot of people are saying that the only logic is basically Boolean logic, true-false logic. I'm actually opposed to that viewpoint. As you know, I love quantum physics, and I see that there's a deeper logic that we can find in nature that far transcends Boolean logic. And what, what most of us Westerners believe is the only kind of philosophical truth tables. 
or new quantum computers, of course, will be looking at all possibilities, not just true and false. They will be based on qubits. So we're going in a direction where people will start seeing that um, there are so many different shades of gray, and I'm not referring to the movie. <laughs> so I'm just talking about lots of different, actually, we could call it colors, because it's not just black and white. It's a rainbow, and, and I'm not talking about um, <laughs> your sexual orientation. But, um, yeah, basically, there's just so much variety out there. And I think that's really what this book is all about, is just showing us that when you touch on that sense of oneness, then it's possible to let go of some perceived need to be proving that you're right and everybody's wrong. Uh, and it's a lot easier to work together. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, um, and now, speaking of movies, I'm going to call on Brent. Now, Brent is a lifelong movie fan and longtime student of metaphysics. He's the author of Get the Picture and Conscious Creation Goes to the Movies and also Consciously Created Cinema, the Movie Lover's Guide to the Law of Attraction. Um, Brent maintains an ongoing blog about metaphysical cinema and other self-empowerment topics at Brent Marchant's blog, blogspot.com and he is a contributor to various publications including Vivid Life Magazine and New Consciousness Review. So, um, welcome Brent. Tell us what you have for us today. Well, thank you so much. Well, I have uh, uh, four movies today, but three of which are all linked by the fact that they all feature remarkable portrayals of outstanding women who explore different aspects of consciousness. And the first among those is the film Still Alice, uh, which features a wonderful Academy Award-winning performance by Julianne Moore. Uh, the film tells the story of Alice Holland, who is a, um, an accomplished 50-year-old uh, linguistics professor who suddenly finds herself lost for words, literally. And as time goes on, she also discovers that she's suffering from uh, other sorts of memory lapses, which causes her to question exactly what's going on. Uh, when she gets checked out, she discovers that she's tragically been um, beset by a case of early onset Alzheimer's disease. Um, now, it's, it's interesting to see how she responds in this situation because um, she tries to re- remain as upbeat and as positive as she can through the circumstances. And she does it through a very interesting way. Um, she knows that she can no longer rely on a past that's slipping away from her. Uh, as she puts it, she's actually becoming an expert at losing things. Uh, and she also knows that she really can't rely on a future that has, a, a, you know, is out of her control at this point. So what she decides to do is to live in the present moment. And I think this is really important from a consciousness standpoint, regardless of whether we're suffering from a debilitating disease or whether we're just, you know, living a normal life. Uh, so oftentimes I think we end up losing sight of being in the present moment because it's really the only moment over which we have any direct control to begin with. And she tries to do that despite her own particular circumstances and make the most of what time that she has left to enjoy her family, to enjoy her career, uh, and to even retain the persona of herself that she can recall uh, as Alice Holland. Uh, it's a really uh, wonderful picture in so many regards. Um, it premiered uh, in late December and uh, has been uh, gradually rolled out in wider release in the time since then. 
Um, it's probably finishing up. It's in London theaters currently, but it will be available on DVD very soon and is even available right now for a pre-order. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that because one of the books that I wanted to talk about is called The Alzheimer's Diet, a step-by-step nutritional approach for memory loss, prevention, and treatment by Richard Isaacson, MD, and Christopher Ochner, Ph.D., um, it has very detailed recommendations about the types of foods to avoid, the types of foods that you need to add to your diet, which are not really all that different from um, good nutritional recommendations for everyone. But I guess as you become more at risk, um, they become all that more uh, important. Uh, the, the recommendations include avoiding sugars and refined carbohydrates of all kinds because the um, insulin uh, cascade plays a big role in, um, in Alzheimer's because of the way that glucose runs rampant uh, in the body or, um, and can cause glycation of tissues or um, the, the insulin flood can deprive the brain of glucose. So um, you can get into the science in the book, but if you have um, Alzheimer's in your family, if you have any loved ones uh, already showing early signs, I would really recommend this book, The Alzheimer Diet, a step-by-step nutritional approach for memory loss, prevention, and treatment, by Richard Isaacson and Christopher Ochner. So, um, Cynthia, let me see. We've got a few minutes. Um, you know, back, going back to um, the, the movie, I had an interesting experience recently. I've been working with um, a young couple where the, the, the husband had a stroke. And... Um, it was caused by a medical problem anyway, um, you know, medical negligence in my view. But anyway, what was fascinating was after the stroke where he lost all ability to speak, it was on the, um, the left side of his brain, um, he actually became very intuitive and spiritual. And his wife said it was like living with Buddha. He just had this blissed-out smile on his face. Wow. It was. Um, it reminds me how a lot of times when people are nearing the end of their time and, you know, they kind of go into this decline where they totally close off, suddenly they may wake up and speak, you know, for, for a period of time completely rationally, interact with people, and then, you know, die or, or go, back, go back under. So the, the Alzheimer's brain is part of the, the, the brain in general is part of this very fascinating mechanism that we're only beginning to scratch the surface of how it works. So I guess we just have to do our best to try and understand as much as we can and take the preventative action that we can and be, be uh, empathetic when people show the early signs of it, including me. <laughs> 
when I forget what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, so uh, moving on, uh, I think we have a, about three minutes before the next break. So, Cynthia, what's the next book you wanted to talk about? Okay, the next one, it's, it's actually a book of poetry and beautiful pictures. It's written by Jen Wright and Gina Dazzo. It's called A Western View. And what I love about this book is, um, well, I knew the, the poetry of Jen, um, Jennifer, who's also a nurse. She's a nurse poet. <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting thing there. But I like the way that she writes. She's got a playfulness to her. And it's a short book with lots of pictures, like I said. But I feel that as I go through it, I feel like I'm just getting a breath of fresh air and taking a vacation. And that's the kind of thing... You don't often experience with a book where it just feels like a beautiful, playful journey. And it can touch on um, emotional subjects such as loss. And um, one poem is about a woman opening up ornaments. And uh, obviously she doesn't even have a tree to put them on, and she's about to give them away. So she's reaching. I don't know that she has Alzheimer's, but we're talking about that. So that's kind of interesting. And then other poems have to do with nature and the cycles of the moon and about um, a medicine dance, and a, a couple of poems having to do with Raven, and lots of poems having to do with just that sense of bliss and uh, connection that you get when you're in nature. And I think the combination of the poems touching on that, about that feeling of surrender, which we can get into when we're surrounded by beautiful vistas in New Mexico and Arizona with the canyons and the red hills, for example, or um, just vast expanses of fields of wildflowers and trees. Uh, it's, it's just ex really beautiful, and I think it's it's a way to get a sense of being in that present moment and feeling alive uh, for some people who can't necessarily enjoy all of those sights and scenes. And, and just the combination of the words with the pictures is breathtaking. So I, I, I just love it. I think it's one of the, the best poetry books with pictures I've seen in quite a while. And, again, it's called A Western View. And if you love nature and love birds and, and animals and plants and trees and the whole experience of being in touch and connected with each other and feeling um, just that amazing sense of spirit that you get when you're in nature, that's really what I get out of this book. It's just, just wonderful. It's an interesting combination of poetry with photographs. Um, she, she worked with a photographer, right? Yes, she did. And I believe they met in a coffee shop. So it's one of those wonderful moments. Um, the nurse poet, Jen, she likes to write poetry every day. She writes at least two poems a day, sometimes more. And she was probably scribbling poetry on a napkin when the photographer saw her. <laughs> I think that is how they met. And um, they're, they're both living in that beautiful uh, southwest part of America where uh, you can just get the light. So I think and there's a picture of a cup of coffee in the book. And that may very well may be from their first meeting or just to help represent that wonderful moment of things coming together. And I think you can feel the energy of that, the synergy in the book as well. That it's, it gives you that sense of possibility that you can be in the right place at the right time, which is how the whole book came into being. So it's inspirational on so many levels. It's um, one of my continuing pleas to the to my listeners to 
be open to those moments of synchronicity. They, they can just lead you down the most magical paths. So that was a Western view by Jen Reich, R-E-I-C-H. Yes. Well, we're going to take a break now. I am speaking with my reviewers in our reviewers roundtable. We have Cynthia Sue Larson and Brent Marchant. And I'm Miriam Knight, and we'll be back right after this break. Miriam Knight is the founder and publisher of New Consciousness Review, a digital magazine and website at ncreview.com. For 15 years, Miriam's Beat has been covering the thinkers, books, and films inspiring conscious evolution towards greater health, happiness, empowerment, compassion, and connection. Browse the thousands of enlightening books, interviews, and videos on ncreview.com. You can connect with Miriam on Facebook or through the website. That's ncreview.com. been trying to get your attention? What will it take for you to start to listen? I'm Miriam Knight and I interviewed 37 individuals from all walks of life for our book, What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. In it they describe the cosmic two-by-fours that changed their lives and their answers may make you rethink your own ideas about the nature of reality. Available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, or ask for it at your local bookstore. What wags the world? Tales of conscious awakening. See straight and save. These days, everyone seems to see things differently. But from your eyes, you can see straight and save. Right now, get glasses online at 70% off at Glasses USA. There's a 100% guarantee, too, on top brand men, women, multifocal, and even prescription sunglasses. Visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Glasses USA, and you will see straight and save. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network. Larson, Brent Marchand, and me, Miriam Knight, for New Consciousness Review, and we're talking about books and films. So, Brent, tell us your next film. Well, my second film today is the movie Wild, which features a wonderful Academy Award-nominated performance by Lisa Witherspoon. And the film tells the autobiographical story of author Cheryl Strayed, who is a woman whose life falls apart when her mother and best friend dies uh, quite young from cancer. Um, having grown up in a household that was often dysfunctional, uh, Cheryl saw her mother as her savior to help her through so many of her trials in life. And when her mother passes away, um, she's devastated. Um, and her response to it is by escaping into a world of drinking and drugs and extramarital affairs which causes her life and her marriage to fall apart even further. 
So faced with uh, basically a future that is looking pretty bleak, she decides that she's ever going to get her life back together. She needs to get away from it all and look within, uh, take some time to reflect. And she does that by deciding to go hiking the Pacific Crest Trail in California, Oregon, and Washington. Um, and this is a, a really a departure for her because she's never done anything like this before. And um, she doesn't really quite know what to expect. But that's exactly, I think, what she needs at the time because she needs to be able to confront uh, her past and to confront the reasons for why she ended up going down the path that she went down. Um, it gives her a chance to examine the choices that she's made, uh, but even more so it gives her a chance to examine the, uh, why she made the choices that she did so that she can get back in touch with herself and heal her pain so that she can move forward in her life. Um, it really is a, a wonderful uh, examination of the questions of introspection and self-healing uh, because we see as she embarks on her journey that she really has quite a bit of both to do, and as she makes her way through it, uh, she does quite a lot to bring herself back to the person that she had been before. Um, one of the qualities I really liked about the movie is how the audience is let in on her personal revelation on the same time and the same terms as she is. Something that's not always very easy to pull off in film, but it, this gradual course of revelation as the movie goes on really... Um, helps the viewer to identify with what the protagonist is going through because you're experiencing what she's experiencing uh, essentially on the same time in terms of she is. Um, it's also a really very effective vehicle for showing how uh, our external world is really a reflection of her internal beliefs. For example, when she embarks on her journey, she's initially carrying this enormous backpack filled with all kinds of things that she doesn't need. Uh, and that's really kind of a metaphor for her life because she's been carrying around a lot of baggage that is really no longer serving her. So she needs to figure out how she can get through this journey um, without having to carry around more than what she really needs to get through. And that's a, a really very fitting metaphor for her life in general at that point. Um, this is a, a tremendous offering from uh, director uh, Jean-Marc Vallée, who last year made the film Dallas Buyers Club, and I think he's probably done as good, if not a better job, with this picture. Um, it premiered back in December and has been really enjoying a very long and healthy run of theaters. Uh, it's probably beginning to wind down its theatrical run now, but I understand it's going to be available for DVD release uh, at the end of March and it's available for pre-order. I recommend this one really highly. It was uh, probably one of the one of the more underrated films of 2014 and uh, really is, is quite good in so many levels. And, of course, it was partly made here in Oregon, so rah, rah. It uh, makes it even better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things that you mentioned in passing but, that I really wanted to point out is the healing power of, of nature. Just the, the the enormous benefit to be had from going into the quiet, going into solitude, and and just feeling the natural world around you. Sonia Choquette's book about walking the the Camino de Santiago um, had a very similar outcome. In, in her case, it was a pilgrimage, but I guess this was a pilgrimage as well. It just didn't have a holy site at the end of it. 
Yeah, but it was, it was just as important to her for uh, her to be able to uh, get her life back together and understand why she got to where she was. And interestingly enough, even despite all of the trials and tribulations that she went through, she acknowledges that she still wouldn't have traded a thing because they all contributed to her becoming the person who she eventually was. And I think that's important for us to recognize. A lot of times we look at our own lives with a lot of regrets and say, oh, if only I had done something differently or if I had done this in another way. Yet, really, if we end up looking at who we are now, we wouldn't be who we were had it not been for those experiences. Uh, so it's important for us to be able to acknowledge and embrace those circumstances and say, they all contributed to making me who I am. Mm -hmm. And I have a question. Is this movie uh, based on a real-life story? Because it sounds yes, it like is. it might be. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, the, the, the author, Cheryl Strayed, changed her name after she got divorced. So I don't recall what her her um, married name was before uh, she went before she did that. But she does go by the name Cheryl Strayed now, and her book is available online. And um, she's been doing a number of media appearances in connection with this too. So, hmm. well, um, I have a really small book to talk about. It's called The Deathbed Sutra of the Buddha, or Siddhartha's Regrets, by George C. Adams, Jr., from O Books. Um, it starts with the premise that this religion professor uh, was given a manuscript by a mysterious oriental figure, and when he had the manuscript translated, it became clear that this was the deathbed confession of the, the Buddha to his uh, cousin and disciple Ananda that pretty much um, turned on its head the most fundamental of Buddha's teachings of, of non-attachment. And... Um, <laughs> kind of stretches the belief a bit because the language is so contemporary. Um, but it does raise the very intriguing idea that Buddha, when he came to the end of his days, realized that he had really missed the mark in, in one major way, which was the importance of love and the importance of love for one's family, for one's fellow beings, instead of, of the, the, the strict interpretation of the doctrine of non-attachment and no-thingness. Um, uh, in the story, uh, Ananda was afraid of incurring the wrath of the Sangha of all of his colleagues, and so he... Um, refused to uh, pass on the teachings, except that at the end of the book it's kind of left up in the air as to whether at the end of the day he did pass them on and they were withheld by um, in the group because he had a prodigious memory and he was able to recite all 82,000 sutras um, and they had this big conclave where they were all written down and this um, supposedly did not get into the canon. A, a, a really intriguing book, um, particularly for Buddhists, called The Deathbed Sutra of the Buddha, or Siddhartha's Regrets, 
by George C. Adams, Jr. Um, but we're going to go into another break, and then we'll be right back with the Reviewers Roundtable. been trying to get your attention? What will it take for you to start to listen? I'm Miriam Knight and I interviewed 37 individuals from all walks of life for our book, What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. In it they describe the cosmic two-by-fours that changed their lives and their answers may make you rethink your own ideas about the nature of reality. Available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble or ask for it at your local bookstore. What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. Miriam Knight is the founder and publisher of New Consciousness Review, a digital magazine and website at ncreview.com. For 15 years, Miriam's Beat has been covering the thinkers, books, and films inspiring Conscious evolution towards greater health, happiness, empowerment, compassion, and connection. Browse the thousands of enlightening books, interviews, and videos on ncreview.com. You can connect with Miriam on Facebook or through the website. That's ncreview.com. If you're like the 8 out of 10 women that say finding genes that fit is a problem, well, your problem is solved. Lee Genes has done extensive research, and they have genes that fit. There's even an online lead fit finder so you can find the right fit for you. Imagine jeans that instantly slim you with a custom fit and no gap waistband. And guys, kids, Lee has jeans for you too. Click through to Lee's jeans on the HealthyLife.net advertiser page and get what fits. You want HealthyLife.net radio programming everywhere? TuneIn Radio is your mobile solution. The app is available for iPhone, BlackBerry, and Android phones. Search your app store today. Search for TuneIn and take HealthyLife.net radio programming everywhere you go. and Brent Marchand talking about books and films for our reviewers' roundtable. Tell me, Cynthia, what is your third book? My third book is Connected to Goodness, and the subtitle is Manifest Everything You Desire in Business and Life. This is written by David Meltzer with Harrison Lebowitz and forward by Warren Moon. And... The, the names might not sound familiar, but David Meltzer caught my attention because he is um, he's, he's associated with the movie that, that you might have seen starring Tom Cruise called Jerry Maguire. And I really love that movie because it, it inspired me to recognize that there are ways to uh, be involved with the, the business world and do things from an ethical standpoint. 
uh, to be that lone voice in the wilderness <laughs> that says, you know, I, I've got this vision of how to treat people, and I'm going to do things that way. <clears throat> so the, the book itself, Connected to Goodness, doesn't really delve very far into that world of Jerry Maguire. But actually, <clears throat> if you remember the movie and you remember the sports super agent, Leigh Steinberg, that was played by Tom Cruise, um, that was basically uh, what David Meltzer was doing. He was CEO to the character that Tom Cruise was playing. And so um, that's what makes this book especially interesting for me personally is that um, this is a story, a real-life story from David Meltzer about how um, you know he's got these principles that he's developed to basically um, – recognize some important principles of what really matters in life because you can be a multimillionaire um, but then if you experience as um, basically Warren Moon experienced this rapid downward spiral that ended in bankruptcy uh, that's the kind of situation that his, um, his friend David Meltzer and, and his co-worker you know they work together in business David re- recognized the only way to, to really thrive is to find a way to blend spirituality with business. And I think when he came up with this idea called Sports One Marketing, that's what he shares uh, are his proven principles for success that bring them a sense of balance, which ensures success in both business and life. And so his mantra is make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. And what I love about the book, beyond all that, is just that there's so much of an emphasis in this book about how important it is to know ourselves and what really satisfies each of us individually in lasting ways. Because often we make mistakes when we follow the advice of other people, whether it's our parents or our mentors, and they could be quite well-intentioned. Um, but if they're stroking the, our ego without addressing our deeper needs, either because we've never spoken about those needs or maybe we don't know what they are, um, you can easily end up with exactly what you thought you were asking for from your head, but it has nothing to do with what you care about in your heart. And that resonates with me tremendously. I, I feel that I, I meet so many people in life that have made those kind of mistakes, including myself. You know, I've done that myself. So. When I, when I saw that this is such a great book at um, helping you sell things, and he's got the funniest, most brilliant examples of, of how you can sell, for example, a plastic pen for $1 million in less than a minute, even though it looks like the, exactly the same pen you can buy at Walmart for $0.39. Cents. And I'm not going to give that away about, about this beautiful sales pitch, but this guy is good. And so even if you just want some tips on how to be a great salesperson, um, but you like spirituality and you don't want to sell your soul to have a good um, business life and successful, prosperous financial dealings in the business world, this is the way to get there. So I, I love the principles and connected to goodness. They basically emphasize many of the same spiritual principles that you'd find in perennial wisdom traditions about things we're talking about today. Um, and, but it's broken up into short, easy-to-read sections with easy-to-understand tips showing ways to develop effective, positive habits and how you can have a conscience and do quite well. So, again, that's yes, Connected sir. to Goodness, David Meltzer. Connected to Goodness, David Meltzer. Great, 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 great. Okay, Brent, what do you have next? Well, well my third movie featuring outstanding women is the movie Cake. 
which featured uh, an outstanding performance by Jennifer Aniston, someone who probably should have been nominated for an Oscar, but unfortunately was overlooked. Uh, tells the story of a woman named Claire Bennett, who was afflicted with chronic pain. Uh, we're not let in on the source of what the cause of that is right away, though given the prevalence of body scars, it's not too hard to guess exactly what happened to her. Uh, in any case, she suffers from both physical and emotional pain, but only seems to want to deal with the physical discomfort. And she doesn't do a very good job at that either, uh, mostly escaping into a mix of drinking and painkillers and really nasty sarcasm. Her, some of her lines are, are brutally funny, but really very cutting to the quick. Uh, she makes a heartfelt attempt at trying to address her emotional pain by joining a support group, uh, but she immediately, because of her sarcasm, uh, manages to alienate all of her peers and is asked to leave. Um, but before she does, she ends up learning about one of the peer group members who had committed suicide. And she starts to become almost kind of morbidly fascinated with the circumstances surrounding her peer's death, mainly because as she looks at her own life, she's beginning to realize that she's going to have to make some very hard choices about her own circumstances, most notably whether she even wants to continue it. So she ends up taking a very um, introspective look at the question of uh, the choices that she's facing. Um, and that's an important method, I think, for us because so many times when we're faced with circumstances that are difficult, we often feel like we don't have a choice, yet we always do. And it's something that, uh, in, case, in Claire's case, she needs to do very carefully while she still has the opportunity because if she decides to follow the course of her peer, um, she can't take it back if she ends up you know, going through with it. So during the course of the film, as she's examining the effects of what a possible suicide decision might have, um, she looks at various questions such as, what impact will this have on those who are going to be left behind? Um, and also, is it the right course for her to pursue? Um, and interestingly, she does this through a series of encounters uh, with, the, with an apparition of the person who had committed suicide in her group. Uh, they engage in discussions in the dream state and in what could probably best be described as maybe hallucinations from all the drugs that she's on, uh, where she examines her choices and tries to decide what a course do I exactly want to follow as I move forward. Um, so it's a really interesting uh, examination of the question of choice and what we decide to do with it for ourselves, uh, especially when we're facing literally life-changing decisions as she is in this film. Uh, now, the film opened up in theaters in late January in very limited run, and I think it's actually already left in most places. But given how often uh, movies tend to make it to DVD and uh, Blu-ray and things like that really fairly quickly these days, I would say this will probably be available for uh, viewing in that regard probably in the not-too-distant future. And remind us of the name again. Cake. As in birthday? As, as in birthday cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I don't want to give away how that title comes up, but it does come up in the movie in terms of uh, explaining what, the, what, what it means. Mm -hmm. so. Okay. Great. Well, um, my book, my next book, is called The Helianks Proposition, or The Return of the Rainbow Serpent, A Cosmic Creation Fable by Timothy Wiley. Is Timothy Wiley's first nonfiction book, although it's based on really his his whole career of writing books, particularly um, books about 
ETs and angels. He was the author of the Rebel Angels series, of which four out of the eight books have already come out. Um, and I am told that we need to go to break, so I'm going to pick this up when we come back. So we're uh, talking with Brent Marchant, Cynthia Sue Larson, with the Reviewers Roundtable, and we do hope you'll come back right after the break. Miriam Knight is the founder and publisher of New Consciousness Review, a digital magazine and website at ncreview.com. For 15 years, Miriam's Beat has been covering the thinkers, books, and films inspiring conscious evolution towards greater health, happiness, empowerment, compassion, and connection. Browse the thousands of enlightening books, interviews, and videos on ncreview.com. You can connect with Miriam on Facebook or through the website. That's ncreview.com. been trying to get your attention? What will it take for you to start to listen? I'm Miriam Knight and I've interviewed 37 individuals from all walks of life for our book, What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. In it they describe the cosmic two-by-fours that changed their lives and their answers may make you rethink your own ideas about the nature of reality. Available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, or ask for it at your local bookstore. What wags the world? Tales of conscious awakening. Okay, so you have a couple of days off and you're planning to get away from stress. You may be planning to go across the world or even taking a staycation around town. Well, Hotels.com can get you a room in over 158,000 hotels, 60 countries for 50% off. That's reducing stress already. Plus, collect 10 nights and you'll get one night free. And there's no cancellation charges, no change fees. For the best deals, even last-minute deals, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Hotels.com. All positive talk with a mature edge. HealthyLife.net. I was talking about the Heliang's Proposition by Timothy Wiley. This is a, a lovely, lovely book, and I, I really mean lovely because it's a big format book, cloth-bound, in fact, silk-bound, with gorgeous um, hand-drawn calligraphic illustrations. In fact, the um, uh, comparison has been made between Timothy Wiley and uh, Blake, the poet, in terms of illuminated manuscripts. Um, it is a cosmic creation fable covering the entire history of the cosmos in the most extraordinary fashion. You get a very different sense of the passage of eons and time. And I don't want to give it away, but it ends up 
in the Garden of Eden. And the Helianx takes its name from, I suspect, from the helix, is inspired by the helix of our DNA, the double helix. And it tells how the repository of the wisdom of the universe has been concentrated down into this one being. Um, and uh, where that ends up, you will have to read the book to find out. The book is delightful, absolutely delightful. The Heliang's Proposition or the Return of the Rainbow Serpent by Timothy Wiley. Now, in the few minutes remaining to us, Cynthia, you have another book, right? Yes, I do. Um, this one is about the educational system. It's called Excellent Sheets, the Miseducation of the American Elite and the Way to a Meaningful Life. And it's, it's all about, um, it's written by an ex-Yale professor, and um, I'm going to try to pronounce his name. It's Duras. There is Yeah, thank you. And so basically, he's saying that um, the elite universities, Yale, Harvard, and Stanford, are no longer the places of inner transformation that they used to be, but instead they've become so concerned about their school rankings and U.S. News and World Report, um, and other colleges have followed suit. So there's been an unfortunate trend toward grade inflation. And so the whole reason that this book is important, it's, it's important for two groups of people, um, parents and students who are considering going to universities, and basically this book can help them understand. You, you can look outside of finance, consulting, medicine, and law. You can look to the arts. You can look to other things, um, even though there seems to be this tremendous pressure to be kind of tracked into one of these um, majority majors. And the other group of people that can benefit from the book are those concerned with education and reforming it and, and what's happening to our society as a whole if we're basically creating this educational system that's very elitist and actually has some, it's being gripped by corporatocracy as well. So mm-hmm. it's all left to the reader to decide, um, but it's a discussion piece. It inspires a lot of conversations, and I think that's a good thing in a book. So it's called Excellent Sheep. And you can read more about this book in the upcoming issue of New Consciousness Review, which will be out at the end of the month. Uh, Brent, you had another movie, quickly. Yes, I do. My final review today is for a film called The Last Avatar, which is the first fictional piece from director uh, Jay Widener, who's best known for doing documentaries about metaphysics and uh, social consciousness, like the Infinity, the Ultimate Journey, and Building a Partnership Society. Um, it's a big leap for him to try something that different, and unfortunately, I don't think it really quite works. Uh, it tells the story of a, a down-and-out screenwriter who decides to get his life together by, like Cheryl Strait, hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, um, and in the course of his journey, he has a number of remarkable experiences that help to show him that he is a much greater destiny than he thought he had. Um, now, that's a very interesting idea, but in the course of doing that, the, the director brings in so many different ideas that it's difficult to really find out exactly what he's trying to say. He covers everything from alchemy to uh, Lemurian mythology to personal growth. And most of the ideas, unfortunately, remain a little underdeveloped and underexplained. So I think somebody who is watching this and maybe new to the material might be a little bit lost by exactly what it is he's trying to say. Uh, I, I believe the sentiment that went into making the film was certainly in the right place, but unfortunately the execution doesn't come off quite as well as it could have. Um, the film is basically being shown mostly in special screenings at uh, spiritual and healing centers at this point, 
Um, like most of the productions from uh, Sacred Mysteries, which is the company that made this, uh, DVD will probably be available at some point, although I have not seen anything on their website as yet to indicate when that will be. Mm-hmm. Great, and that was called The Last Avatar. The Last Avatar. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, um, I hope uh, you will join us next week. If we have another minute, I just want to do a shout-out. Um, for tar- the Tartar Penguin Publishing Company, they have brought out uh, something called the Tartar Supernatural Library, and they're bringing back um, classic editions, you know, from the turn of the century, and two books in particular. One is called Ghost Hunter by Hans Holzer, and um, this was uh, 50 years before... Um, uh, 50 years ago came out, um, and uh, actually uh, he uh, presented some of the first ever case studies of haunting investigations and all of the, the present um, lore of go- and practice of ghost hunting was taken from his uh, groundbreaking classic. So that was Ghost Hunter by Hans Holzer. And the other one is called The Romance of Sorcery by Sax Romer. Now, Sax Romer um, was a British mystery author who wrote the popular Fu Manchu series. And uh, it was the pen name of Arthur Henry Ward. Um, And this particular book covers many of the uh, big names in the history of supernatural exploration. Um, people like Madame Blavatsky and uh, Cagliostro and Dr. John Dee and Nostradamus. Um, and it is a, a, a delightful um, period piece because the language is very, very articulate, very literary. Um, and um, people actually knew how to read and write in those days. <laughs> the, the use of the language is very delicious. So that was um, The Romance of Sorcery by Sax Romer. Well, I've, I've got a question about that earlier book about Siddhartha. And yeah. um, I, I know we're going back now, but I did have a question. <laughs> it occurs to me that in Asian cultures, there's a there's the assumption, there's this backdrop of connection that everybody knows that your identity is part of the community. And I was wondering if, um, you know, do you think that that might have a part to play? Going, switching gears and going back to that book about Buddha, about Siddhartha, is it possible that it got left out originally because it was assumed that? That's such a basic aspect of human life that you're connected, that relationships matter. I'm just wondering. I haven't read the book, but I'm just curious. Well, it, certainly the way that it was presented in the book, I, I don't know enough about Buddhism, but the little I do know on the you know very tip of a, a spoon um, leads me to believe that um, the the omission was a major omission and really would have, if accepted, would sort of overturn the whole premise of the monastic life. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. No, it's pretty fundamental. Yeah, the deathbed sutra of the Buddha. So um, next week we have um, Leslie Lyle 
talking about laugh your way to happiness. Use the science of laughter for total well-being. And if we don't need that in this world, I don't know what we do need. We definitely need more laughter. So I want to thank you guys, Cynthia Sue Larson and Brent Marchand, for joining our Reviewers Roundtable. And in the meantime, I invite you to visit New Consciousness Review on ncreview.com and subscribe to our magazine. That brings you a great selection of reviews, columns, articles, and interviews. And you can connect with us through our website or on facebook.com forward slash ncreview. Well, I guess that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Cynthia and Brent. So until next week, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Be good to yourself. Do good in the world and let your light shine.